Today, uh, if you're a guest with us, we uh, thank you for coming to worship with us. Um, we just work our way through the scripture, and you happen to have joined us at one of the most difficult passages in all of scripture. <laughs> Please pray for me. <laughs> it's uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and we're going to be reading verses 2 through 16. It's not my opinion. Most commentators say the same thing. This is a tough passage to deal with, partly because our culture is so different today. Um, but I think um, as we go through it uh, and using other scripture, uh, the Lord will help us to, to see what it really means to us today. 1 Corinthians 11, 2 through 16, would you stand with me as I read this passage? Now, I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head, but every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it's disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God, but a woman is the glory of man. For a man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That's why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman. And all things are from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it's a disgrace for him? But if a woman has long hair, it's for her glory. For her hair is given her to her for a covering. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice nor do the churches of God. Amen. This is God's word. You can be seated. Now you know why I want you to pray for me. <laughs> so there's a few big issues in this passage that make it difficult to uh, translate or, or uh, expound on. And one of those is head, the word head here in this passage. It can mean authority. It can mean source. It can mean several other different things. So people, uh, some commentators choose this word and some others use that word. And, and so it, it can be, they can come at it from different angles. But by also the word for man here and woman here is not not uh, the usual word that we find in scripture, but it's a word that, it's often in scripture, but not, not, not in a clear sense of, it can mean a man or it can mean a husband. It can mean a wife or it can mean just woman, period. Okay, so it can be translated either way. That also adds a little complexity to it. 
Um, but by using other scripture to interpret the words, I think we can get Paul's intended meaning. Uh, the other problem is that it's a, it was a custom of that particular time. So we have that question, and that's the main thing I try to get at in every message is, how do we apply it today? The, this was, a, uh, we tried to find the meaning in, within scripture and the meaning that was the author was speaking to those people at that time but that's a unique time. How, what's the overall arching truth that we can apply to us today? That's what we want to get at. So we'll attempt to draw out those eternal truths that we can live by. If you were with us or before this, you know Paul's been encouraging the Corinthians to follow his example in preferring others above himself. So unlike the culture in Corinth, Paul wasn't out to make a name for himself. That was the typical thing in Corinth was this is where you, you can really make your mark in society and people can really uh, get to know who you are because it was a place of lots of opportunity, kind of like America, um, and almost as wicked as America, <laughs> maybe more so. Um, but he was striving to live in such a way that others could hear the message of Christ Jesus rather than to promote himself. His whole goal was that people could hear the gospel. He set aside his rights so that he wouldn't stumble or hinder others from hearing and receiving the message. He wasn't living for himself, but for the Lord for whom he had given up everything. And in this passage, he continues to encourage the Corinthians to, to live in the manner that he was living, giving of themselves for others, but especially in regards to worship. Verse 2, now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. So these traditions that Paul's referring to are the ones that came from the apostles. They're traditions regarding um, the work and ministry of Jesus, the way the church is to behave in this fallen world, the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. And in many ways, they did follow them in a manner consistent with what Paul had taught. But as we're going to see in this passage, or as we've already read in this passage, there was some twisting of the things that Paul taught. So he needed to clarify and make some correction. This verse begins a new section, really, in the letter to the Corinthians, a section on the subject of worship in the church. And it's going to continue all the way through chapter 14, 11 to all the way through 14. He's about to mention one of those traditions that they had received, which was head coverings or a woman's role in the church. Now, the shift in thought from the previous passage is, is from how they were to act towards unbelievers. Now it's, uh, now it's focused on how they act amongst themselves in times of worship. But what's similar to the previous passage is this underlying theme of not for yourself, but for others. Not, not focused on you, but focused on how can I help my brothers and sisters in Christ, putting others above ourselves. Verse 3, but I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of the wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. God has established order in the universe. 
God is a God of order. There's authority levels ordained by God. Jesus submitted himself to the Father while he was in his earthly ministry. Man is to submit himself to Christ. And women are to be submissive to their husbands. The woman, or wife, is equal in essence, but subordinate to the man, or husband, in function and role. The world today doesn't like this design of God. Our society is rebelling against it. But even secular surveys, one survey after another, has shown that women are generally happier if they raise children while living in submission to their husband, letting the husband make the way while they take care of the home. Ephesians 5.24 says, Wives should submit to their husbands in everything, like the church submits to Jesus, the passage says. And the balance to the wife's submission is that the husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, that's a real challenge. Jesus loved the church to the extent that he died for us. That's, that's on us, guys. That's our role. That's what we're to follow. I don't know which is harder. I think they're both pretty tough. If he does, then his leading is going to be gentle and gracious and loving. Now, again, our culture has completely rejected this, and that's one reason for our high divorce rate. Women want to lead. And when they do, the man in the home feels disrespected. Men refuse to give themselves to their wife in service and love, and so the wife feels unloved. Neither has a soul satisfied in Christ, so they demand too much from one another. If you are satisfied in Christ, you're not going to demand too much from your spouse because you're satisfied in him. Your basic, most deepest needs are met in him. But if they aren't, and you demand too much from each other, your hearts grow colder and the marriage vows are broken as each seeks another person to fulfill that longing in their heart. Then, in their unfaithfulness to one another, the picture of marriage, representing Christ in the church, turns into one of idolatry and unfaithfulness. So lest we put too much blame on the wives, notice in this passage that Paul starts with the man submitting to Christ. And if that's the case, the Christian woman will find it much easier to submit to her husband, for he'll be loving her like Christ loves the church. We'll see later in the passage uh, the equity in this relationship. We have the perfect example of submission in the way that Jesus submitted himself to the Father. As a human, he had his own will. He would have chosen some other way to save us, but he surrendered his will to the Father, just as he did every day of his life on earth. The daily, not my will but yours be done, prepared him for the final one. Some commentators make a case for the word head being rendered as source. And, he, and uh, Leon Morris in particular, a, a commentator I really respect, says that, um, that, that the word wasn't used to imply authority in the first century. But then we have all these other uses in the New Testament of the same word 
that imply authority. Another example is what does it mean when the scriptures declare Christ is the head of the church? Certainly he's the source of the church, but is that all? It's true that the ancients didn't understand that the head is the center of our thoughts and emotions. Nevertheless, they knew the head sees, hears, speaks, gives direction and instruction. So changing the word head to source doesn't eliminate the order that's presented in these verses or in the rest of scripture. We should be careful not to appeal to modern culture, but rather interpret scripture with scripture. Verse 4, every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. Verses 4 to 7 tell us that how one worships can bring honor or shame to the respective one's spiritual head. Paul equates the order and purpose uh, of creation to the form that we take in worship. Because man's created first and given headship over creation, he's not to cover his head. This is the opposite of the Jewish and Roman culture at the time, which when they pray or sacrifice, they would cover their heads. In addition, uh, elite men in that culture had these really fancy hats that they wore to show how uh, upper class they were, kind of a pride thing. Paul is once again countercultural. He sees redeemed men as the primary image man and mankind as the primary image and glory of God in creation. In, this, in that role, his physical head should not be covered because it misrepresents God having given him that position in the earth. And that's what's behind the suggestion for men not to wear hats in church. You know, we, where did that come from? Well, it comes from this passage that man should not have his head covered when he worships because he, he is God's designed authority um, in this earth, under Christ, of course. This passage is one uh, our society would say is cultural and that we should just ignore it today. But let's look at the truth behind it. God has made the sexes, male and female, interdependent. That's what verse 11 is going to tell us. Man needs a helper. He is to lead under the leadership of Christ. His wife helps him, and together they share in the accomplishments. When roles are reversed, the man doesn't have his primary need of respect met, and that makes it harder for him to love his wife, which is her primary need. The home becomes a place of tension as each spouse seeks to have their need met. Entertainment today betray, portrays fathers as, as weak and usually the wrong, the one who's in the wrong. Perhaps that's a reflection of society because so many men are not under the headship of Christ. The phrase toxic masculinity is, is bantered about as if it was evil to be male. There have always been bad examples of men use, abusing power and authority. But that's not because they are male. It's because they are fallen. Amen? Like all of us. The only answer to this culture of decline is for men to return to submitting to Christ. Boy, do we need revival in our country. Amen? I hope you pray for it every day. I do.
That's the only way we'll exhibit the fruits of the Spirit. And those fruits are desperately needed in any and every marriage to be healthy and God-honoring. Or for any organization to be healthy, for that matter. God-given lines of authority are for the purpose of bringing God glory. Verse 5 and 6. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head since it's the same as if her head were shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it's disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair and shave her, or shave her head, let her cover her head. So in the culture of that day, most Greek and Roman women covered their heads. It was just normal. When you're out in public, the women covered their heads. In fact, it's pretty much the same in the Middle East today. You know, when I first went to Israel, I thought, wow, there's so many Muslim women. And then I found out Christian women cover their heads too. They all use a scarf over their head when they're out in public. Of course, um, back in that time of Christ, or the time Paul's writing this, prostitutes were an exception to the rule. They, they always went without a covering on their head. In Corinth, this this uh, standard of covering your head was being tested. The Corinth was one of those, uh, like the second most important city in Rome, and it was, it was testing the boundaries that culture put on it. So women were rejecting head coverings and even competed in the Isthmian Games. There, there were um, the Olympic Games and there were the Isthmian Games. They were the second biggest sports events and one woman in the Isthmian Games won the war chariot race. That goes to show you how Corinth was kind of pushing their boundaries. Imagine how humiliated all those men felt. <laughs> Apparently, the women in the church were tempted to follow this trend, reasoning that, as we saw last week, all things are lawful. That common phrase used in Corinth, all things are lawful. So, hey, they don't wear one. I'm not going to wear one in church either because I all things are lawful. But that didn't set a good example of modesty in that culture for the new believers or for unbelievers who visited the church. Now, again, the word used for wife here in ESV can mean either woman or a wife. The woman's head covering at the time showed not only her modesty, but that she is in submission in her role to her husband. Her help as a helpmeet. And that's what gave her authority. Submitting to God's order is where real authority comes from. It is in this order that she prays or prophesies in the church. And we're going to see that again in chapter 14. We see in chapter 14 that prophecy is, and let me explain the word prophecy for a second because we think when you prophesy, you're predicting the future. That's not the Greek word here. It may, it can at times mean that, but it comes from two Greek words, pro and femi, which just means to speak forth. So in scripture, it is when someone speaks forth the word of God. They're quoting a scripture or they're saying something that God has put on their heart. Um, so they're just speaking forth the word of God. And in 1 Corinthians 14, we're going to find out that when man or woman speaks forth the word of God, that others are to judge. 
And we'll get into that in much more detail in 14. But basically that to say, if someone stands up and says, I have a word from the Lord, I believe that the red rocks are, are emanating vortex power that can save us. All of you have the spirit of God in you. You know the scriptures too. And so as people indwelt with the spirit of God, you can say, I reject that. That's not scriptural. Only Christ has the power to save. Um, and, and ultimately, the elders of the church should make a final call on whether that is something that's scripture, scriptural or not as the overseers of the church. A woman uncovering your head was so suggestive that Paul said it was this, the same as if her head would be shaved. In other words, it was shameful in that culture. A shaved head on a woman was meant humiliation. God gave women, as a part of their beauty, their lovely hair. And if the woman stepped out of her created order, it was humiliation to her and to her husband and to the church. Now, we don't have the same cultural practices today. That's why not all of you have a, a scarf on your head. Ah, I see someone with a scarf, but it's not on her head. <laughs> um, So what would be seen as seductive or improper dress for a woman who prays or prophesies in the church today? See, this is where we have to get down to the deeper truth that's being spoken by Paul. If we just focus on the physical, that they had a, a, a women had a head covering, we miss the point, the eternal truth. The eternal truth is this order that, that he's presenting, God's created order. And he's saying that, when you get out of that order or you uh, are distracting, bringing glory to yourself, that that becomes an issue. Well, how can we do that today? What would be an example of that today? Certainly there are some styles that would be improper because of their suggestive nature. I would say that that would include any dress that's revealing, drawing attention to the shape of one's body. What the con culture considers modest should be the standard. Um, because if someone comes in from the outside and says, wow, that church, <laughs> woo, let's go to that church. You should see how the women dress there. That's a, a bad testimony. First of all, we're sending the wrong message to them. It might increase the attendance, but that's not why we want them here, amen? <laughs> We're all free, but as Paul showed in the previous passage, we shouldn't do anything that stumbles another person. We should consider the impression that what we do, whatever we do, has on new believers or, or on unbelievers. We should, we should limit our freedoms so that others can hear the gospel and so that all the glory goes to God and not to ourselves. Verse seven, for a man ought not to cover his head since he's the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. Now I understand uh, Genesis 1.27 to say that both male and female are made in the image of God. Because of this passage, some commentators disagree, but I don't think that's uh, what Paul is saying here. 
In stating that men are the image and glory of God, Paul's point is not that women were not also created in the image of God. As the argument shows, Paul's concern is that both the man and the women are the glory of another, not themselves. Genesis 1.27 affirms that all humans bear the image of their maker. The veiling of women has to do with the fact that she is man's glory. The purpose of the veil then is that people should not gaze on that which is man's glory in worship since the focus is God's glory. Clampa and Rosner assert that the dress code for Paul was not merely a symbolic expression of gender distinction, but to be maintained for the sake of respect for the created order, but understood to be essential to avoiding the infiltration of anything that might distract a worshiper's attention away from the glory of God. Men are to live in such a way as to bring praise and honor to God. We're to shine with the glory of the, of the attributes that represent God. But woman was made as the helpmeet of man and is his glory. Mariko's my glory. She's my praise, honor, and approval. That's what that word means. That helps us together to glorify God with our unity. And most of you realize I could not be here without Marika. I, I'm telling you the truth. If she passes on, I, I don't know if I would continue. I don't know if I could continue because she's so much of what I do. She is such a helpmate. We complement each other. That's why men and women are so different. We're supposed to welcome and appreciate those differences and realize they complete us for God's glory. Sadly, it's too often the case that we don't appreciate those differences and we allow them to be a source of friction. Our culture readily gives up on marriage because of those differences instead of working together for the glory of God. This forsaking of our wedding vows made before God pictures believers' unfaithfulness to God, resulting in idolatry. So then we, as I said before, we look for someone to meet those needs and glorify us alone instead of together working through issues for the glory of God. Verses 8 through 10. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That's why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. There she is. So Paul returns to talking about the order of creation and the purpose for which woman was created to emphasize the reason a woman in that culture covers her head when she prays or prophesies. Verse 10 tells us that the covering is a symbol of authority. It declares that she's in proper order with God's creation and therefore her prayer or prophecy should be heard and, and should carry weight. This verse also tells us we have angels attending the worship services. Did you know that? You see them hanging their legs off the railing up there? That's how I imagine. I imagine them all sitting up there looking down going, and whispering to each other, see what he's doing, the words doing in that guy's heart. Oh, did you hear that one? That was good. 
the book of Hebrews says they're sent to assist those who will be heirs of salvation. Maybe they're discussing a soul in the valley of decision and holding back any distracting influences. When they see a woman in proper order, speaking out in prayer or prophecy, they know it's worth listening to. The order reminds them of God's order in all things and their place in that order. Verses 11 through 13. Nevertheless, in the Lord, the woman's not independent of man nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman. And all things are from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? So Paul inserts this reminder, this important reminder of interdependency. Man's not independent, but works together with his wife. This is God's design and order. And we ignore it to our peril. Our interdependency is seen in creation and in nature. The woman was formed from the rib of Adam and man is born through woman. And if you look at different creatures, it's amazing how the different uh, creatures, uh, how the, the male will help with the, like, for example, the penguins. The, the male takes care of the egg while the, the female goes out and fishes, and then they swap. They need each other. If they don't work together, that little egg's never going to hatch. It's going to freeze. And there's so many illustrations of that in nature. Of course, many men do not submit to Christ while the wife does submit to Christ. And Peter addresses this in 1 Peter 3, 1 and 2. I think that was mentioned in the call to worship. The wife must still submit whenever it does not violate a command of God so that through her example, Peter says, she may, be, she may win him to Christ. Verse 14 and 15. Does not nature itself teach you that a man wears long hair? It's a disgrace for him. But if a woman has long hair, it is, for her, it is, her, it is her glory, for her hair is given her for a covering. Long hair on a woman is very beautiful. Paul calls it the glory of her husband. It's a covering in itself. Most of the Roman and Greek world actually had men wearing short hair. I know it'll be a shock to you, but Jesus probably had short hair. Centuries later, he was depicted with long hair in the style of Greek gods. It just seems natural for men to wear short hair and women to have long, beautiful hair. It's not only the glory of her husband, but here it says it's her glory as well. You know, today, the brethren churches and many Orthodox churches still practice head coverings for women. Most churches you go to in the Middle East, the women still wear a head covering. Our culture no longer gets the message from that. They no, they no longer understand that that's what that implies. And in fact, it, our culture kind of dislikes the message altogether. Maybe we should reinstitute it. Or we... If it would be contentious, as Paul says in the end. In that case, we have no such custom. Again, we have to get down to how does it apply to us today? The main thing is that we live in God's designed order and submission while working together in an interdependent way. I witness homes in which the wife is the undisputable head of the home. The husband submits in everything. 
and in extreme cases I've witnessed, the damage to the children is easily observed. The husband becomes weaker in old age from physical problems, and I would suggest comes from stress that they felt throughout the years. It may just be my little world. What have you observed? Kathy Keller gives us a healthy perspective when she writes, I am in no way suggesting that women shouldn't have strong opinions and voice them. That can be done without becoming the head of the house. And all the women said, amen. No? <laughs> Verse 16, if anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. So what Paul concludes by saying, look, this isn't the most important tradition I've passed down to you. And if some of the churches say, no, we don't abide by this, then don't argue about it. It's not an issue that's, that's deep enough to argue over. It's not mandatory. Peace is more important. This is one of those all things to all people to win some situations. Paul knew the letter would be passed around, and though it may have been a problem unique to Corinth, there, would, there could possibly have been those churches that disagreed. And if they didn't accept Paul's solution, they needed to come up with another one for the sake of unity. You see, in the early, early church, every church was independent. Um, yes, the apostles had a, a big say in how they functioned, what they did, and uh, over the local elders. But after the apostles died off, churches were independent. Each one was under the leadership of those particular elders. It wasn't until late in the second century that churches began to appoint bishops, uh, which oversaw a group of churches. And then we, gradually we evolve into Catholicism from that overseeing and not letting the churches be independent. I thank God that this is an independent church. Not that churches under denominations or with hierarchy can't serve God or don't love Jesus. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just very thankful that we are a, uh, an early Christianity style of church. So Stephen, Pastor Stephen Um again, I'm going to quote him again. Some of you have been asking, who is that guy? Well, he wrote my favorite commentary on 1 Corinthians. It's in the Preaching the Word series, commentaries. Um, he says that Paul is essentially saying everyone willingly submits to something. Don't conduct yourself in a way that would dishonor the one to whom you are submitting. Men don't dishonor God by adopting idolatrous dress and worship. Women don't dishonor God and your husband by adopting dress that calls your marital status into question. Paul's insinuating that some women were skewing the common cultural practice of wearing their hair or wearing a covering of some sort on their head during worship. They felt as though they had the freedom in their worship, which they did, and they allowed their hair to hang down on their shoulders. We must understand that the cultural norm, whether in the church or even in the Greco-Roman world, was for women to wear not necessarily a full veil, but a shawl to cover their heads. One comment, another commentator writes, the only women who did not wear them were the hetairai. They were the high-class mistresses of influential women in uh, Corinthians. 
Also, slaves had their heads shaved, and the same practice was enacted as a punishment for convicting adulteresses, and that's why it, uh, they would shave their heads. So it, it was an uncommon thing for women to let their hair down and not cover it. It was somewhat of a seductive distraction in the worship service. In my opinion, many churches have adopted distracting practices in our day. We certainly have the freedom to dance before the Lord. If you read my uh, devotion this morning, we was on David dancing before the Lord. And we have the freedom to dance before the Lord. But if it's done in a sensuous way, men are going to be distracted from worship. And women will be dishonoring their husbands. Worship should be focused on Jesus. And anything that unduly distracts from the focus on Christ should be eliminated. Because we're not ignorant of Satan's designs. The way we dress should not unduly draw attention to our bodies. The example for us all, in all cases of biblical submission, is that of Jesus' submission to the Father. It was total. It was done out of love. And it bore the amazing fruit of salvation of the world. Certainly, mankind distorts and fails to represent this perfect kind of submission to one another, but it's our goal, and the result is worth making every effort to attain. Love, respect, and submission all go hand in hand. When we refuse the grace of God that would help us express these qualities, we just harm ourselves. The old nature is selfish and demanding, and whenever we find ourselves in that spirit of selfishness and having our way, we should fall on our knees and ask God to help us to walk in the spirit. The war of the flesh and the spirit is ongoing until the day we meet Jesus Christ. So let us do everything to avoid distraction when we read the word, pray, and worship together. We need worship time alone, just you and the Lord, and we need that time together corporately to prepare us for spiritual battles and to properly respond to the opportunities that God puts before us each day. May God help us be faithful soldiers of the cross, keeping our old nature in check and considering how we can build one another up. We are free to wear what we want to wear, but love for God and one another cause us to consider whether it will bring glory to God. Our guiding question is, does this bring glory to God? Amen? Amen. Amen. Would you lead us in a closing song? And then I will give the, the benediction. <laughs>